Hi, listeners. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by The Draw Shop, and we've got something exciting for you. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been asked what you do? We all get asked this, right? Have you then answered and then got the response of totally glazed over eyes or just the look of someone politely smiling but definitely not caring? It sucks. I know. I've totally been there on both sides, actually. That's why my team and I at The Draw Shop now offer a service to help you perfect your elevator pitch so that people immediately understand how you can make their life better and so that you can use this anywhere in your marketing. It's the single statement that compels your prospects to take action right away. Here's what happens. You meet with an expert copywriter on our team to define the problem you solve, how you solve it, and the transformation your customers experience after working with you. From there, we'll turn that into a short and sweet elevator pitch just for you and create a compelling one-page visual story to help the world better understand your business and how you can help them. For a special limited time offer, we are offering you this service for one-third the usual price valued at $1,500. Yep, 70% off. Again, this will only be available for a limited time, and we've already seen incredible results with our clients changing this one single statement. So to get your word perfect pitch today, head to www.thedrawshop.com forward slash elevator pitch now. That's www.thedrawshop.com forward slash elevator pitch. Okay, let's get into today's episode. You would literally die without other people. And some people might go, well, that's not true. I'm a, I'm a hermit in my house and I, you know, I don't need anybody else. I'm telling you right now, without the cooperation of people, you would be dead most likely in weeks or if not months. There are gifted speakers, best-selling authors, and successful entrepreneurs, and I've had many of them on my show, and it is rare when you find all three in one person, and it's why I have Peter Montoya on the show today. He is that rare exception. He's a thought leader, a skilled orator, a leadership strategist, and he has real-life experience driving his insights and ideas that he is sharing with us today. He's sharing human behavior. He's sharing high performance teams and how to get your team to be high performing. He's talking about community and the importance of it, team culture. How do we show up as a leader? That's his specialty is leadership development. And I continuously have questions on that topic. So I feel So honored that Peter joined me today, and I think you'll hear by the end of this episode that we need to have him back because there's so many more things that we can go into, and there's an incredible amount of information that you'll get just from this one, and it's it's all going to be noted in the show notes, but I, for one, am always such a fan of numbered items that I can actually execute on and have actionable items that I can tackle. So that's what Peter's giving us today, and it's all around, you know, operating in a virtual world. If your business is is totally virtual right now, or it's temporarily virtual or wherever you're at right now, it's also really showing up as a leader consistently in your business and what a real leader actually is kind of like what the old school leader was and what a leader looks like today. We're also talking about loneliness because that's a real thing too. And the importance of 
socializing and, and how can we do that and how can we help each other and how can we create a community? These are just some of the things that, that we're talking about today. And it's, they're so great. I was taking notes. So you may hear me (laughs) taking notes throughout because I'm like, oh my gosh, definitely need to implement that with my team. He's got incredible books as well that we have listed. So I'm going to dive right in. You're going to hear all about how he got to what he's doing today and, and why it's so important to him. I love to start with those stories and he's got an incredible one and just amazing experience. So please enjoy this interview. Peter, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Me too. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, what we're going to be talking about is it's important at any time, but it's especially important right now. We're going to talk about leadership. Also, one thing that I am really excited to hear from you about is building high-performance teams. And those are like the main things that I would love to focus on because they're big things that our audience asks for. So it's perfect. And it's so timely right now because now's a great time to be thinking about it. Always a good time, especially right now. I think so too. Yeah. (laughs) Crisis tends to kind of strip everything down bare and cause us to kind of reassess who we are, either as individuals, as an organization, what's really important and where are we going? So you're absolutely right. This is what crisis does. It's the ultimate reset button. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So before we dive into all of that, can you give us a a brief summary of how you got here, how you got into coaching and speaking and leadership and all of these amazing things that you do? I graduated with a degree in political science and with a degree in political science. And when you have ADHD, you've only got a couple of choices. You can go to law school, which I just didn't have the discipline for law school. You can go into sales or you can become a bartender. Those are about your three choices with a political (laughs) science degree. So I chose and went into sales and went to work for the biggest motivational speaker back in the world back in 1993, 93. And I was never really a rah-rah motivation guy, but I loved being in an environment of personal growth and development. I lived over in 22 major cities in five years. And then I started at the ripe age of 28, started my own advertising agency. I wrote a book on personal branding called The Brand Called You. I was one of the first people out there touting having a personal brand in the year 2000. I then transformed it into an advertising agency, I'm sorry, into a technology company in 2006. And in the last 30 years, I've done 3,000 speeches on either branding and or leadership. So I've kind of been all over the map from a both marketing, sales, and leadership point of view, both in both professional and personal domains. So you really haven't been there. You haven't had much experience, but we're going to talk anyway. (laughs) I'll see what I can do. (laughs) So let's talk about, you know, what... Obviously, when as we're recording this right now, we're right in in the in the midst of it, and businesses are not open right now, and people are a lot of people are are struggling not just not just because of what's going on, but also because it's a new way of working as a team. And I know that a lot of leaders are like, okay, it was a lot easier when I could be in front of their faces, but what do I, how do I show up now? There's like this pressure to let people know things are going to be okay. We can still have, you know, our team culture, but like, what is your, what is your advice during this time? 
As far as leadership is concerned? Yeah, as far as leadership is concerned. Got it. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot, Summer. What is leadership about today in 2020? And I think leadership today is very, very different than it was in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 2000s. What would you say leadership, the key to good leadership is today? Gosh, I agree with you there. I think leadership used to be like looking up to to your boss and him kind of, you know, I envision this cartoon and then somebody like pointing the finger at you when you mm-hmm. when you've done wrong. Someone you're scared of. And I yeah. I personally Wait, think now let me, yeah. uh, before you go on. So you're yeah. absolutely right. That's what leadership was. It was top down. It was the Jetsons, you're fired. It was intimidation. <laughs> the leader did all of the vision strategy, and thinking for the organization. And that was the old model of leadership. So that's a great segue. So what do you think leadership is about now? Well, it's really, I mean, it's all about working with with the team and, mm-hmm. and being that person that is, okay, you've you've got our backs. You you support us. You're someone mm-hmm. we can go to. You're someone who's going to give us the vision and then mm-hmm. we're going to help you execute that vision. There you go. Yes. So leadership today in my vernacular is all about leadership development. Yeah. So when I first started my advertising agency, when I told you a second ago at 28 and I started hiring people, I spent 95% of my time in personal production, either doing sales, marketing, or speaking. And about 5% of my time in meetings with my team, I basically, we went out and created a bunch of sales, came back to the office and said, hey, you guys go figure this out and figured out how to deliver it. And I left them alone. And that actually did reasonably well, but I would have done much, much better if I led like you do today. And that is 20% of my time is actually in personal production, whether I'm speaking or doing some kind of writing or complying to emails. And 80% of my time is spent with my people developing them as leaders. And so even in a COVID world where people are working remotely, your number one job as a leader is leadership development. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, let's just go to like the basics here. If I'm somebody who is struggling and saying, I don't really know if I'm, if I'm being a good leader, what are the things that I should be doing? What should I be looking at? All right. So the, the first things, let's just make sure we're covering the basics. You got to think of yourself like a leader. So if anybody's out there listening to this podcast and going, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have a title. There are three domains of leaders. The first domain is what everyone thinks about. And that's leaders of businesses and organizations or governments. And you basically have a title. And that's one form of, one domain of leadership. Second domain of leadership is friends and family. And more or less, my rule is, is be a better influence on your friends and family than they are on you. You are always modeling, you are always influencing your friends and family in one way or another, either for the positive or for the better or the worse. And the other domain of leadership is that of self, leadership of self. And that is probably the most important domain of leader. So no matter whether you actually are an anointed leader, which means you have a title of some sort, or whether you are just a leader of self, you are a leader. So you get it. First of all, embrace that <laughs> as it were. So that's, that's number one. Then number two, let me ask Summer another question. Do you want more power? Why or why not? Do you want more power and then why or why not? Gosh, I, I can tell you this. I don't know if this is, I guess there's no right or wrong, but I want to feel empowered. I can tell mm-hmm. you that. Okay. So go ahead and tease out that one. What does empowered mean? And if you want more, be more empowered. Why do you want to be more empowered? You know, feeling that that I do have influence and that it is that if if I'm trying to 
you know, display a certain way of doing things or, you know, here's here's how I believe a situation could be handled. I'd like to know that it's it's being consumed <laughs> and that it actually is, you know, a good example. I don't know if that's power. This is a great question. You did stump me here. <laughs> you did great. You did great. So I'm going to give you a couple definitions here and then also going to give you and our listeners a lot of clarity. Okay. So power is nothing more than the ability to achieve intended results. Oh, the ability okay. to achieve intended results. And most of my audiences, when I ask them that question, they're mixed. Half of them want more power, half of them don't. And the half that don't usually have a picture in their mind of people who have power are some kind of power-hungry, money-grubbing person sitting in a corner office somewhere who is out taking advantage of other people for their own gain. That's their perception of power. But the truth is power is just the ability to achieve intended results. And whether you want to have more material things, you know, better health, better car, better job, better food, or the subjective things that I think really matter, better quality relationships with your partner and spouse, better relationships with your family, your kids, your parents, better community, more purpose in your life, powers the ability to achieve any of those things for improving your life. Now, empowerment is the ability to live life by design. So power is one of the tools to live a life of your own design. This is great. Matt, do you want more power, Summer? <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, you're going, well, all I can get. Yes. So you know, whether you want to get more listeners on your podcast or you want to affect those listeners in a more meaningful way that they actually take the great kernels of information you deliver on this podcast and they actually use it to improve their life. That is all an exercise in power. Full transparency. When you ask a question like that, sometimes you, you know, it's like, oh shoot, if I say, if I say yes here, I'm going to come across as, you know, a control freak or, right. you know, there's all of, there's actually, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love, I love that we just did that little exercise there. <laughs> bet. And so leadership power is the following, you know, greatness is accomplished through the cooperation of people. So, you know, first of all, whether you, an individual realizes it or not, is you would literally die without other people. And some people might go, well, that's not true. I'm a, I'm a hermit in my house and I, you know, I don't need anybody else. I'm telling you right now, without the cooperation of people, you'd be dead most likely in weeks or if not months. You couldn't get electricity. You couldn't get water. You couldn't get gas. You couldn't get food. All of those things requires the cooperation of this amazing system that we have, this global civilization, to provide you those things. And if we went even one step farther and took off everything that was ever given to you or that you've ever acquired through the cooperation of others and left you naked in the forest, you would last maybe a day or two before you perished, either from exposure or from a predator of some sort in, in the forest. So it is impossible to exist without the cooperation of others. You know what? This is so great. And I know that this is something you speak on a lot, which is another epidemic, which is loneliness. Mm, yeah. And as you're saying this, it's so interesting because we're in a day and age where we can be connected via social media. We have devices, we can text, we can this, there's all these things to keep us quote unquote connected. However, there is such a high rate of loneliness and, and depression. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that and like, what the heck is going on? 
Yeah, it's one of the areas that's near and dear to my heart. We are really facing a loneliness epidemic. I think that loneliness is the new cancer. So here's what the research tells us. The research tells us, well, actually, I'll ask you a couple of questions here somewhere so we can have a, a conversation. I'm yes. Give me your best guesses, no wrong answers. How many hours per day does the average human being need of social contact to have optimum health? Minimum anxiety, minimum stress, a feeling of belonging and connection and purpose in their lives. How much time per day does the average American need in order to feel optimum health in the social context? Okay, I'm going to guess here. Four to five hours? You're right in on the mark. So three to four hours is what the okay. research says, but you're right there. So we'll, we'll call it four hours. Okay. All right. Now, how much time is the, this is pre-COVID, how much time is the average American actually getting per day of good social contact. Now, by the way, good, quote unquote, is very subjective. I would imagine it's not watching a movie. It's not playing a video game. It's actually where you're having some level of, of face contact. You're actually seeing them. So good is a little bit subjective. But how much time is the average American getting per day pre-COVID? What's your best oh, guess? Gosh, this could be sad. You know, I'm thinking average wise, right? What are they getting? Like an hour or two? Yeah, is that the average? Uh, 41 minutes a day oh, the geez. person is getting. And that's including work time as well. So it's an average across, you know, work, home, and all the rest, only 41 minutes a day. Now, how much time is the average American spending on screens, computer screens, television screens, tablets, phones? How much time per day is the average American spending on screens? Like 46 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not far off. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I, I mean, I would guess like 20, like, you know, at least 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're right in the bottom here. It's 11 hours and change, 11 hours and 45 minutes. So yeah. So here it is. We need three to four hours of social contact. We're getting 41 minutes a day of social contact and we're spending nearly 12 hours a day on screens. And which is the reason why all of the diseases of despair which are mm -hmm. stress, anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, are yep. all going through the roof. Screens are literally robbing us of the things that make our life worthwhile, which is community and connection and purpose. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hard, cold truth. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do about it? Yeah. So right now in COVID, I've got a list of six things which I, I do every single day. And one of those six things is I do a face-to-face -face video chat every single day for at least 30 minutes. Yeah. So I pick whenever I, you know, you every day, you know, you're in the shower, you're getting up and you think about an old friend. When I think about that old friend, I actually connect them via Facebook or via text and I schedule a time to actually talk with them. I do at least one of those, if not two of those every single day. And you think, well, I'll just talk to them on the phone. It's the same thing. It's not. When you actually see somebody and you see their facial expressions, you're deploying a much greater level of empathy. And neurologists think that there's things called mirror neurons that get turned on that actually help provide us much better health. We release dopamine, oxytocin. It makes us feel much better when we actually connect and see somebody face to face. That's one of my daily disciplines during COVID. Non-COVID, pre-COVID, I was doing at least three or four, either lunches, drinks after works, or dinners with friends on a regular basis. There's this huge emphasis in, in our society of kind of healthiness. And part of a health is, you know, work out three, four days a week, get eight hours of sleep, 
eat healthy. And your social connectivity is as important or more important than all those other factors. Yeah. What they realized is, is when you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling lonely on a regular basis, it is worse to your health, worse to your longevity than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. It is. And I don't, I don't doubt that at all. And I think people, when you think about it, you know, that feeling, you know, like what Mm. good medicine it is to actually hang out with people and just, oh, it feels so good. And I remember same thing, you know, we were zoom calls with friends, meeting up with girlfriends on zoom, just needing to, to have that just does so much for, for your soul. Mm -hmm. There's some people though, that just get so stuck that it's like, they can't even bring themselves to to get there, you know, to, yeah. to even make the, make the call or make the, you know, face to face. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So when you have as people start suffering from depression and anxiety, what happens is they actually become immune to the cure. So they start thinking about going out and seeing people. And they, I've heard literally someone said this to me is that, you know, I, I, they're going to ask me questions. I don't want to ask, I don't want to answer. They might ask me questions where I'm going to feel judged in some way because I haven't been progressing. And so they actually enter this vicious cycle, which actually brings them farther and farther down. So yes, to anybody who has those kind of those, we'll call them gremlin thoughts, those kind of eating away thoughts that really kind of bring it down. The first thing I recommend to do is A, stop it. (laughs) And those shameful thoughts, they just don't help. And then B, start building in a regular regimen of socializing. Yeah. Kind of taking it back to that, that leadership role, what are some things that we can do as leaders if we sense that this is happening with our teams? You know, you start to feel that disconnect. We're not talking every day. We're not seeing each other. I'm not walking over to your desk. And, you know, even for those, because there are a ton of, even pre-COVID, tons of teams that are virtual. I mean, I'm in, I'm in San Diego. I have some team members out here, but the majority of our team is in Salt Lake City. We're in two different states. So Zoom calls are definitely important for us. But as, you know, leaders that where you aren't seeing each other so often and you start to feel there might be some sadness and stuff going on, how do I show up for them? So to me, leadership starts and ends with people. It starts and ends with personal relationships. And under the old world of leadership, it was always fear and intimidation. That's how leaders showed up is they kind of put on this suit of armor and they basically made themselves into quote unquote a professional. They were not vulnerable. They were not human. They were not real. They were this kind of monolith of professional fear and domination in the workplace. (laughs) And uh, I've got at least two or three or four different quote unquote personas that I'll put on depending on where I need to go. And there is a time where I am business and don't mess with me. And that is a persona that I will put on because leaders from time to time, have got to show that level of confidence, that level of certainty, and that little level of control, but it's not all the time. And when you see leaders who are always in that mode, the expression absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's where that comes from. If you never, ever let your guard down, if you're not reflective, and if you don't get feedback from your team, you will get delusional and you will start spouting and having perceptions of the world, which are completely and totally disconnected. So you can't do that all the time. On the other end of the spectrum, I am absolutely human, vulnerable, and present with my people on a very regular basis which means why we have personal phone conversations pre-COVID. I had them over for dinner. We went out for drinks and I let my guard down. 
So a lot of leaders think that they are better than their people. And I'm here to tell you, you are not. Part of humility is realizing that your life is no more valuable than anybody else's life. Mm-hmm. Now, in an organization, you probably have more authority, and authority means you can make decisions. However, you as a human being are no more valuable than anybody else. And there's absolutely no reason why you cannot have personal conversations with people and still maintain the level of respect. Now, could you be censor yourself and be careful about what you share? Sure, I'll let you draw those lines. But I'm telling you right now, there are more and more examples of authentic leadership where leaders are being vulnerable and being real and actually getting better results because they connect within a human to human basis with their people. Mm, I love that. And I really hope that more people are are doing that and feel comfortable. Well, might not feel comfortable at first, but feel <laughs> confident mm. enough to, to do that. I, I couldn't agree more. So can we talk about community mm-hmm. and in you know any type of workspace again considering virtual as well what are some of the, like your your best tips in terms of creating a community that does feel very connected ah that's a great question so i've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of friends but all of my friends for the last 30 years had been disparate friends and not desperate, but disparate, which means they didn't know each other. Okay. So what makes community work is where I know you, Summer, and you know my friend, Doug. And when Doug's not here, you and I can talk about Doug. Yeah. <laughs> and not in a gossipy way, but in a caring way, which is, where's our friend, Doug? Yeah. And that's really important because it sends a, a subjective communication between you and I that people care about us when we're not here. So you've got to have an interconnected group of people. You've got to have, number one, shared relationships. So I know you and you know my friend Doug and Doug knows our friend Jeanette and Jeanette knows both of us. You've got to have those interconnected relationships. You've got to have shared experiences, shared experiences, especially around the area of suffering. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <And> yeah. What? <laughs> yes. You know, when I say suffering, I don't mean bad pain suffering, but one of the best communities I have is my CrossFit community. And every single day we go in and do a workout, a workout of the day, which is incredibly painful. And we jointly suffer through these (laughs) workouts together. So you got to have these big, huge challenges, things you do together, which are hard. Shared experiences, especially hard experiences, is one of the most important ways of connecting. And we also have shared purpose, which you have friends who are basically on the same wavelength as you. They realize that the goal of life is the same. My moral compass is very strongly pointed toward maximizing human well-being. I don't do with people, I live in Orange County, I don't do that well with people down in Newport Beach because they're really more about personal enrichment. You know, how can they make themselves richer and get, and get more famous? And that's not really my game. My game is about maximizing human well-being. So I don't have friends that are from there as much. And then also you've got to have shared values and shared values basically means you kind of make the same decisions. You kind of have a way of doing things. You value things the same way. So those are th- the things you've got to have in common in order to have a community. And so my recommendation is you start knitting together friends through social interactions on a regular basis and start talking about what makes brings them together, what they like about and get them moving in the same direction. And is that something you could do with your, with your team, you know, with yeah. your organization? 
I mean, you got to consider you're spending 40 to 50 hours a week with the people that you work with, and you most likely have a lot of shared suffering, especially if you have. I mean, I'm like, goals. what can what kind of challenge can we all do together where we're all suffering? They're going to be like, oh no, what is she making us do now? <laughs> well, in an organization, what you really do is you set up big goals. You know, you put yeah. out a big giant goal, you break it up into executable sprints. So most likely, you go, okay, we're going to grow our revenue by 20% for the year. We've got, you know, seven months left. And then you're going to break everything down into two-week sprints. So, Summer, have you ever done a volunteer, all-day volunteer activity with a group of people? Like maybe you were working at a food bank, you were planting trees, or you were building a house. Have you ever done anything like that before? Yes, yes. What, what did building. you do? Building a house. Okay, yeah. So usually what happens in the middle of the afternoon, you do your morning and everyone's pretty energetic. You go to lunch, you come back from lunch and around two or three o'clock, everyone's moving, but not really getting anything done. Everyone's <laughs> kind of lost focus. There's a big giant lull in the middle of the afternoon. Totally. Then all of a sudden everyone realizes, oh my gosh, it's three o'clock. We got to get this done by five o'clock. And then everyone moves at warp speed for the last two hours. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and that happens at work too, but over a much longer extended period of time. So what we good business leaders do is they break down into these big giant goals into two week sprints. They basically say, okay, here's what we're going to accomplish in the next two weeks. They have each team and department figure out what part of it they're going to accomplish and get everyone moving in the same direction at the same time. You do daily what are called stand-up meetings, which are no more than 30 minutes and people have a chance to say, okay, here's what I got done yesterday. Here's what's working for me. Here's where I need help. And you don't dive into problems in that meeting. You do that offline because otherwise the meeting goes from 30 minutes to three hours and it kills morale. Right. But it basically uncovers them. And what's great about sprints is now everyone is moving more or less. Here's the deal. If you give me an organization and everyone is rowing in the same direction at the same time, I can dominate any industry, any market, at any time. The challenge is, is how do we get an organization of whether it be 50 or 500 or 5,000 to be rowing in the same direction? The sprint is one of the ways that you do that. So when you have everyone working in the same thing, everyone's communicating because everyone has top of mind awareness on the same exact things. You make decisions in real time. There's no more theorizing about what we will do or might do. You've got a deadline coming up in two weeks. You're making decisions and making it happen. And everyone's moving in the same direction at the same time. So sprints is a fantastic way for business leaders to take big, giant, huge, hairy, humongous goals and breaking it down into realistic chunks that can actually get done during the course of the year. I love that so much. I think that's so, so important. So great. I love the the chunks because otherwise it does, it gets pretty, it can get over overwhelming and mm-hmm. then you can celebrate those sprints along the way, you know, exactly. what you've achieved. Yeah. You put a reward in at the end and it will, you do a debrief at the end, three basic questions. What worked? What didn't work? And how do we improve the process next time? Yes. So the process has only got basically three steps to it, which is you have a creation meeting where you basically a sprint rollout meeting where you basically figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. You have your daily stand-up meetings and you have your, your recap at the end. Those are your three basic steps. Now, every team will implement it differently you know, they kind of build their own little ways. And they might, some people might use Microsoft Teams as a way of managing it. Somebody else might use, oh, what's another one that everyone uses nowadays and forgetting. Asana or oh, yeah. one of those, Slack you know, or something. Slack, yeah. Slack. And, you know, maybe we don't do it by phone call. Maybe we do it every other day. And, you know, you can tweak it till your heart's content. But you kind of build the system the way you want to, but it's got just those three basic steps. 
I love that so much. So this is kind of getting me into thinking about high performance teams. Uh-huh. <laughs> we want our teams to be high performing if we're going to, you know, accomplish these sprints. What are some of your, and I know we can't cover all of it, but what are some of your main things that you can share with us for having a high performing team? And once again, I'll ask you another question here, Summer. Based on the current trajectory of civilization, do you think humanity is going to be better off or worse off in 50 years? Worse. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is every organization that actually has a mission or a purpose to improve humanity automatically has a leg up on everybody else. Mm-hmm. So the first work I do with any organization is called the cradle and the cradle is around mission, vision, and purpose and making sure that your organization is actually out there solving a problem that people in your organization and civilization cares about. Now, if you are not solving a problem, then most likely you better be making a heck of a lot of money in order to paper over the awful things you are doing to the planet <laughs> or to people. So I want to build work with organizations who are actually trying to solve problems in the world in whatever little part that might be, whether it be housing or food or longevity. So that's the companies I work with in the cradle to make sure you're building a purpose and a meaning and a vision that people get excited about. People will not, they really, honestly, I've worked for corporations before where all they care about is making money. And it's really, it's a transactional relationship. I'm there to make the money and trade my time for money but my heart's not in it. And if you want people who have, are passionate and go the extra mile, you got to give them a reason to get up out of the morning and work really, really hard. And that is something that benefit humanity. That's where it starts. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is so true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then step two, uh, we want to install really great firmware. So if you had a computer, you have, you get your, you have a hardware, which is the actual physical computer. You have the firmware, which is the software that tells the computer how to operate. And then you have the software. Well, your software are their company values. Those are the values which are very unique to you. However, I really believe every corporation, every organization should have the same firmware in it. And those are a couple of different we'll call master values or operational values that really make the organization go. So let me give you a couple of those. The first one is integrity. (laughs) And integrity, we actually break down into four different parts. And obviously, it means telling the truth, doing what you say you're going to do, keeping your agreements. But it also means making sure that every time you are engaging with other people, it's a win-win scenario. Uh, And then also, it means being whole. And that means being as free as you possibly can from violations of others or where you have to forgive somebody else. You've got to be whole along those things too. So integrity is an operational value. Number two is absolute responsibility. And absolute responsibility is owning the situation independent of blame or shame. And we want people in an organization who own the situation without pointing fingers at other parts of the organization or the people. If it is to be, it's up to me. I went glossed over our really big one, which is absolute responsibility, but that one is really important too as an operational value. Another one is humility, and humility is the realization that you are no better than anybody else. It is the ability to look at yourself objectively and get feedback 
And then also the a desire to find your mistakes as quickly as you possibly can. So <laughs> when you make mistakes, when I make a mistake, I want to know that I made a mistake as close to the moment that I actually made it. So I can apologize and rectify the situation. Oh, absolutely. So, humility is another really big one. And the last one is skepticism. And skepticism is making decisions, the best decision possible for the organization. It's a way of looking at the world and weighting your belief to an equal amount of evidence. So, you know, you might say, Peter, what are the the planets in our solar system? And I would go with, uh, you know, my memory isn't all that good. So I'd go, maybe it's Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, something along those lines is my best guess. I wouldn't give that a whole lot of confidence because I don't know that information (laughs) all that well. And so I would use words to go, I think this is what it probably is. And I, so obviously when we make decisions in business, we want to make decisions based on what we know. (laughs) So all decision-making, all leadership, all human cooperation begins with a common understanding of what the facts are. So skepticism is really important, both professionally and personally. And so those are our four pieces of firmware that we put into every single organization that we work with. And then with the firmware, then you can create the ones that are actually, the values that are actually important to you. Values are how we aspire to behave and make decisions. That's what a value is, how we aspire to make decisions and behave. I like that. Yeah. And then culture is actually how we do (laughs) actually behave, make decisions and behave. These are so good. And I can tell you right now, listeners in our show notes, all of this will be mapped out step-by-step, which is going to be so great because there's just so many great takeaways. That's yeah. Cause I love, you know, we all love listening to something and you want to take notes, but most of us are listening in our car or, you know, kind of walking around, maybe doing some chores around the house while you're listening to the podcast, you want to take notes, but these, all of this will be in the show notes. This is so great. I want to talk about before, before we close this up, I want to talk about your book, the brand called you, Mm -hmm. because just the title alone is like, Hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. intrigued. Yeah. But talk to us about this, the book and, and, and why the book. So I actually wrote the first version of that book almost 20 years ago at a time oh, wow. when personal branding was barely a glint in anyone's eye. And then I was really heavy in personal branding for probably about eight years till 2008. And then I just kind of transitioned out of it. But personal branding, more or less, for lack of a better word, it's two things. Number one, it's your specialization. You know, what, what are you known for? You know, who are you? What are you, what are you about? And then secondly, it's your reputation. And so whether you know it or not, you absolutely have a personal brand, which means there's a pers- reputation about you and people have a thought about what you are. And personal branding is a really great doctrine of looking at how to improve your influence of other people. So personal branding and uh, leadership have got a whole lot in common because leadership is about influence, nothing more and nothing less. And that's what personal brands are about too. So yeah. personal branding is actually a pretty effective leadership development tool as well. Because the whole idea is you want to be able to get in front of your audience, whether it be your, your people or your clients, you want to speak and have them follow you wherever you want them to go. That's what branding and leadership is both about. I love that. And where can we find that book? Cause I want to have a link to that as well. Yeah. That one is on in Amazon, Amazon. Yeah. Perfect. And I've got two more books in the works. One is called Meeting Without Walls, How to Lead the Perfect Virtual Meeting. 
virtual meetings have become a really important leadership modality. And that will probably be in Amazon in a month or two. And then the one following that is the high performance organization, how to dominate any industry, any market. In any yes. Time. I love both of these. And both of them are so, they're so important, especially the virtual, because I think that we're going to see, you know, as businesses start to open up again, that's going to be the new norm. I think it was already headed that way. And now mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's accelerated. It's accelerated mm-hmm. now. Yeah. This is so great. Where else can people find more information about you? Well, you know, I wrote a book on personal branding. So if you want to find me on the web, you would go to petermontoya.com. That's where you'd find me. Awesome. (laughs) And I'm a leadership strategist, a speaker and author, and I work with companies to basically instill this high performance organization to walk through the cradle, the firmware, and then we'll call the machine. The machine is actually, how do we actually lead? We touched on a little bit of the machine. The machine was in part, we talked about the kind of the, the, the sprint protocol. Then we've got, of course, I've got coaching, presenting, leading in meetings. Those are all part of the tools uh, in our toolbox for actually implementing leadership systems in an organization. Is there a certain size company that you tend to work with or range? So, you know, there's who I target and, but I get outside of my target all the time. I like closely held businesses, usually professional services. However, I've gotten nonprofits, I've gotten schools, I've gotten local municipalities, and then I also get large corporations as well. However, I really like working from the top down, which means when I work with business leaders, we actually put in systems and tools that start with your employee agreements, your interview process, and your onboarding. So that way you're bringing people in, you're, you're basically indoctrinating them into your leadership system versus coming and training on it later. Oh, that's incredible. I love that so much. I can't wait for the next two books to come out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Nice to say. Well, Peter, this has been amazing. So many, so many good things. Hopefully, I don't know if you could hear it, but I was scribbling and, and taking notes here because some things oh, that I want to implement with my team. So, so I know it's good. And I'm like, oh, we've got to have this in the show notes. Thank you so much for for being with us today. Again, all of everything that Peter talked about will be there, links and to his book. So you said two months from now, we'll have to maybe update and, and put those books on there when they're when they're available. Absolutely. You'll have to, you'll have to let us know. <laughs> we'll do. And Summer, I'm, I'm be flattered to come back anytime you might want to have me. I've always got more, more and interesting things to say. Oh, I think so. And I think this was so such a great, you know, kind of a high level look at everything. But we could literally have an episode just on those individual, you know, pieces of the firmware. You know, we, what could. I mean? we could talk about integrity for a couple hours and absolute responsibility and skepticism and humility. Yeah, we could do each one of a show in each one of those. Yeah, Easy. definitely. We'll definitely have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you, Summer. <laughs> Hey guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already done so, would you do me a favor and go subscribe and review this podcast? My goal is to continue to deliver you content that will really move the revenue needle in your business and give you up-to-date content on anything else that can dramatically help your business. You can also find us at thedrawshop.com slash podcast where you can comment on the podcast or contact us directly with any issues you'd like me to address. Thanks again. I really, really appreciate you listening and I'll see you next time.